Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for May 14th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be talking about what we've been up to and watching and discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. So before we get into the news, guys, let's let's uh, go over to the water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. Uh, over the weekend, I attended the junket to for Solo, a Star Wars story. Don't worry, there's not going to be any spoilers here. Uh, it uh, I talked to Ron Howard, the 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 credited director, and uh, the writers, the Kasdans, and uh, I got a lot of good content from that that will show up on the site closer to release and even after release because we we had some spoiler filled discussions that will show up uh, the week after the movie hits theaters. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it's it's always interesting to uh, at at a Star Wars junket because Disney, like I, I guess um, you know, I'm reading in between the lines here, but I I, I think people are interested in this. Uh, they, it, Disney always holds these Star Wars junkets at like not the usual place. Like usually, a junket for a movie is usually held in like the same three hotels in Beverly mm-hmm. Hills, and um, 
for Force Awakens, the junket was held in the, uh, I think, in the Los Angeles Convention Center. Uh, you know, and like, you know, so they, they have these weird locations and we're told ahead of time, like when we're there and we're posting it on social media, we're not allowed to tag the location, have our location, you know, settings on for any of the you know social media postings we do while we're there. I, I'm assuming it's because Star Wars fans are just, uh, more, uh, likely to show up. Uh, than than others uh this one was held at the pasadena convention center um which is kind of way out there and um it was interesting because i think there was like a graduation going on next door and there's like you know a huge party there and none of these people know it but like you know they were you know 10 steps away from uh huge hollywood stars in these uh makeshift tents that they built in a convention center where they do their interviews um but yeah so uh Actually, this that reminds me of this fact that I just learned that the Oscars are held at a mall and just like a <laughs> well, really... Well, that's a little... Well, yeah, I guess it is a mall. <laughs> I mean, it's like it has like a nice... The Dolby Theater is really nice, but then it's like right across from, I think, a Hooters or something like that. So that one, uh, that's really funny to me, which is like something I only learned about <laughs> recently. A Hooters, a Buffalo Wild Wings. It's a very <laughs> touristy area, so there's a lot of like really like, you know... Uh, those kind of places around in that area. But um, it's the Hollywood and Highland Center, which is, um, I mean, Ben, how would you describe it? I, yeah, it's, is, basically, is it a it's basically an outdoor mall. I think that's a good way of describing it. Yeah, there's like a two-story shopping center, or maybe three stories even shopping center. There's like a Dave and Buster's there. And there's, yeah, it's just like a, a place that tourists go. I kind of call it like the, the Times Square of Hollywood, basically. <laughs> that is a good description of it because it's right next to uh, Man's Chinese Theater, and where uh, you know they have those unauthorized uh, characters in costumes uh, begging people for money. Um, <laughs> but um, the interesting thing about this mall, and if you actually want to look it up, not to spend too much time on this, but uh, <laughs> it's actually based on the set from an old 1916 film uh, called uh, Intolerance. Uh, it's the Babylon set, and uh, it's 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 pretty um, extravagant. It, it it reminds me of something you'd see in like Las Vegas, like you know Caesar's Palace or something. It's very grand, uh, although you know it, it's grand, but you're you know there's a hot topic, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> the juxtaposition is pretty stark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, I don't know how we got sidetracked to this. But uh, Ben, what have you been up to? Uh, On Friday night, I went to Universal Studios Hollywood because the studio was holding a 25th anniversary celebration for Jurassic Park, Steven Spielberg's original 1993 movie. This is the first time that the studio has um, sort of celebrated an anniversary for this movie in this way. And it was basically just they opened up. So if you if you guys are familiar with Universal Studios Hollywood, uh, there's the park. And then you, you sort of go down a series of escalators to a lower level of the theme park. And down there, there is like Jurassic Park, the ride. And there's like a, a bunch of a little area basically that um, has a bunch of Jurassic Park themed Um, cafes and stores and what have you. So that area was sort of the centerpiece, the, the nexus for this whole celebration. And um, so so were you not allowed to go to that area unless you had a ticket to this event? 
Yes, that's correct. Yeah, they uh, at a certain point, I think it was 7 p.m., like the park closed like it normally does. But if you had uh, a lanyard, a badge for this particular event, you could go down there. And that's really when the whole thing sort of kicked off. So it was great because everybody got to ride the ride with very little lines. I mean, you could just walk onto it, you know, with no no time at all, really. And they had this whole area um, set up with uh, props and um, vehicles and costumes from the movies, the whole Jurassic franchise. And I brought my video camera and um, took a bunch of video and, and edited together a video for Slash Film. So you can see, you can check that out. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I just put together this this really cool little um sort of highlight reel of some of the stuff that they had going on there. Um, Colin Trevorrow, the director of Jurassic World, was the moderator of a, a series of panels. So this uh, this celebration actually happened Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. I was there on Friday, and uh, Dennis Murin, the visual effects supervisor for the original movie, was there. Um, assistant director John Kretschmer was there, and cinematographer Dean Cundy, who also shot like Back to the Future and a bunch of other stuff, um, was there. And they were sort of just essentially doing a big Q&A on a stage in front of the crowd. So that was really cool for Jurassic Park fans to be able to be there and, and you know hear uh, all these making of stories from these guys. But as cool as it was to hear those legends talk about <laughs> making this movie, it feels like I picked the wrong night to go because the next night on Saturday, Laura Dern was there. And then Sunday night, Jeff Goldblum was there. And Jordan Voigt Roberts, uh, who directed Kong Skull Island, and Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One, stopped by. And they were on the panel that night as well. So I was like, oh, man, like, it was cool being there on Friday. But uh, definitely sounds like Saturday and Sunday were the, the real nights that you wanted to be there. But was yeah, it... there was like co- costume contests and, and you know trivia and all sorts of cool stuff there. Was there any interesting facts you learned about the original Jurassic Park that uh, you did not know? Peter, uh, sadly, the answer is no. It, it was so I was so bummed, too, because Trevorrow was like, all right, uh, I want he opened the the Q&A, basically setting these guys up, saying, all right, everybody who's here are the diehard Jurassic Park fans. We know all the stuff that is on all of the behind-the-scenes DVD clip reels and all that kind of stuff. Tell us some stories that we wouldn't know before. And they really kind of didn't. They just stuck <laughs> to stuff that everybody pretty much knew. I mean, it was still good. And I think there may have been one or two little nuggets in there. But for the most part, it was a, it was a, a familiar trip down memory lane. But uh, it was still nice. And, and um, a, I mean, it was really cool to see everybody just uh, gathered and dressed up as Mr. DNA. And you know, there, was, there was really ridiculous costumes on display. And uh, it seemed like people were having a really good time. Yeah, looking at your video and looking at some of the photos, it, it was nice to see that they had like some deep cuts and like the prop displays. Like they had like uh, Jeff Goldblum, character, uh, his character's book from the mm-hmm. movie. Yep. Um, yeah. No, it's, oh, it, those it's, are deep cuts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, go check out the site. Uh, we will link to it in the show notes and you can watch Ben's uh, video, which is a pretty uh, brisk, like two minute video. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a fun watch. Um, but HT, uh, you've been busy seeing a lot of movies, catching up with movies before they leave theaters. What have you been watching? Yeah, I've been catching up on a lot of films that are soon to leave theaters, I think. Uh, the first two are Death of the Death of Stalin and You Were Never Really Here. So You Never You Were Never Really Here is a uh, Lynn Ramsey's film starring Joaquin Phoenix as a hitman of sorts who sort of targets pedophiles who traffic young girls and uh, Death of Stalin in like 
Fig 180 is a uh, sort of political satire by Armando Iannucci. Is that how you say his name? Yes. 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 Okay. Um, so I saw both of those that weekend, and um, I was kind of amazed that I was able to catch them because they've both been in theaters for, I think, at least a month or so, or maybe even longer. And uh, they were miraculously still at the landmark near my house. So that was really exciting. Um, you Were Never Really Here uh, was especially such so phenomenal to me because I... I had seen Lynn Ramsey's other film, We Need to Talk About Kevin, um, and it had really uh, unnerved me and really uh, discomforted me. But You Were Never Really Here was just another level of brilliance, I think. And Walking Phoenix's just sheer physicality in that film and just like the movie's whole sort of um, really tight editing style and its kind of anti-action take on this very uh, brutal story was really fascinating to me and it, it might have been my it might be one of my favorite movies of the year so far but we'll see we're almost halfway through the year by the way so that's kind of exciting um i really like death of stalin too that was i was really expecting to like uh Iannucci's work just because i love everything he's done so far with veep um the, in the thick of it in the, lo- in the loop and uh that was hilarious and definitely steve buscemi was a standout as well and uh i also saw tully so that was the newer ones of the films I saw. That's the um, new uh, Jason Reitman film, right? Yes. New Jason Reitman, Diablo Cody film. It's their third collaboration. And it's a film about motherhood. It's kind of interesting. They're kind of creating their own sort of before trilogy in a way in that each of their films deal with like a separate part of um, adulthood. So like Juno and then young adults and now Tully dealing with young teen pregnancy, um, sort of arrest development and with an older adults uh, in the middle one with a young adult. And then so uh, Tully deals with sort of postpartum depression and uh, almost postpartum psychosis in a way. It has a really interesting twist that I won't give away, but it is something that kind of elevates the film from being a really uh, sad and depressing and realistic look at one woman's struggle with like her third, with giving birth to her third child. And it kind of elevates it to something else entirely and it's a really great film all these films i saw actually are really good i recommend all of them if you can catch them in theaters um tully i think will be in theaters for quite a bit but uh if you uh aren't seeing avengers infinity war for the third time try checking out some of these other smaller films <laughs> you, you know ha we love to uh publicly shame you on the podcast for the the films you have not seen uh <laughs> now is your chance because i have not seen any of these films and uh, yeah. I, instead, I have watched Cobra Kai two times and seen Solo, a Star Wars story twice. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel bad because I actually two of these films I really, really do want to see in, in, in theaters. And I have that movie that, pass. So I have does no that mean excuse. I can shame you. I yes. can shame you now. Shame, shame. me. <laughs> <laughs> OK, let's jump into the news. Uh, let's start off with uh, a bit of sad news. Ben, what is going on? Yes, Margot Kidder, the actress who played Lois Lane in the live-action Superman movies, uh, has died at the age of 69, so that's kind of sad. Um, Kidder was, uh, she really, I mean, sort of burst into superstardom playing Lois Lane. She uh, um, portrayed that role in uh, Richard Donner's original 1978 Superman and reprised the role in Superman 2, Superman 3, and Superman 4. So she played that character from 1978 to 1987, and uh, she actually sort of, 
like most of the characters who or actors who appeared in the that franchise popped up on Smallville in the mid 2000s as well because that show loved to uh, to sort of throw out the lasso to these legacy cast members as well. Um, Margot Kidder was also a mainstay in the horror community. She showed up in movies like the Amityville Horror and Black uh, Black Christmas and uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween Two and a bunch of others. I think she won an Emmy for. Um, Oh, one of the TV shows that she worked on with R.L. Stein, the creator of Goosebumps. Uh, she also did some a bunch of voice work later in her career. 90s kids might recognize her as the voice of Gaia from Captain Planet and the Planeteers. I, I know I grew up watching that show. I had um, no idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess she was in like 13 episodes of the show or something doing that voice. So that was kind of cool. Uh, I didn't know that until I was doing this research for this little uh, obituary article either. But um, her Lois Lane, man, I mean, she was really, really great. She had this really uh, terrific mixture of being clumsy, but also determined and confident and nervous and her chemistry with Christopher Reeve, who played Superman, was just off the charts. So, um, yeah, she'll be greatly missed. Yeah, I, uh, I don't have a huge attachment to Margaret Kidder, but I love the original Superman films, especially the original from Richard Donner. Uh, I, I love the, you know, the, I guess, spunk that she had in those movies. Mm-hmm. Although I, I, was, I was so irritated as a kid, like, that, like, you know. Clark shouldn't be in love with this this woman who is just in love with the fame of Superman and not him. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Anyways, uh, yes, but uh, she will be missed. Uh, we, we, I, I now want to revisit uh, the original Superman the movie. Um, maybe I'll do that tonight. Uh, but let's move on uh, to the future of superhero movies and female characters in the in those universes. Uh, we now know that Marvel is planning on doing a Miss Marvel movie, or she's going to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in some way. HT, what do we know? So Miss Marvel, aka Kamala Khan, uh, will be will may be coming to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in some capacity. Wait, wait, wait a so, second, HT. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the voice of the people listening to this podcast that don't know about comic books. I thought there was a Miss Marvel movie coming out next year with Brie Larson. So that is a Captain Marvel movie, and this may actually be a little confusing even for comic book fans because Carol Danvers, the character at the center of Captain Marvel, actually used to have go by the name Miss Marvel before she got promoted to Captain. Uh, in the comics, she essentially was the sort of sidekick of the original uh, Captain Marvel, who was an, a Cree alien named uh, Marvel. And uh, eventually she became such a popular character that she went on to have her own title and take on his his sort of take on a new costume and a new title as Captain Marvel. Uh, But in the wake of Carol Danvers coming becoming uh, Captain Marvel, she's she became sort of an inspiration, not only outside of the comics, but in the comics themselves. So Kamala Khan is a character who's kind of unrelated to to Carol Danvers, actually, but she is the ultimate Captain Marvel fangirl. She's, um, in the comics, she's this Pakistani-American teenager who idolizes Carol Danvers and uh, basically wants to be Captain Marvel. And one night she actually, she becomes, her powers become awakened uh, as part of like this inhuman plot line that kind of was tied into Marvel trying to push more inhumans in the comics. Uh, she gained shape-shifting powers and decided to take on the mantle of her hero, or the formal mantle of a hero, 
Miss Marvel. So she made her comic book debut in 2014, and she immediately became a fan favorite character. Uh, her comic book debut is really great. I have the first trade issue, and she is so vibrant and funny and hilarious and awkward. And it's definitely kind of the sort of successor of uh, Spider-Man in a way. She has that really... Um, yeah, it's almost like a relatable. female Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She has this relatable um, vibe to her, and she's you know struggling to balance her teenage high school years with her own sort of strict religious upbringing, and you know living in the shadow of her hero as well, and her own superheroic life. So it's um, she's a really great character, and fans have been sort of clamoring for her to make a debut in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or at least the Netflix series uh, for a while now. And Kevin Feige has uh, sort of addressed this at this point. So in an interview with the BBC, Kevin Feige confirmed that a Miss Marvel movie is, quote, definitely sort of in the works, unquote. Sort of? (laughs) So let me read his full quote. We're doing Captain Marvel right now. Captain Marvel is shooting right now with Brie Larson. Miss Marvel, which is another character in the comic books, the Muslim hero who is inspired by Captain Marvel, is definitely sort of in the works. We have plans for that once we've introduced Captain Marvel to the world. So he's being a little vague again in the classic Kevin Feige kind of misdirecting way uh, in that he he's doesn't confirm whether we we meet her in Captain Marvel, the film that comes out in 2019, or whether this is a movie or project that's planned after Captain Marvel is released. But he is confirming at this point that Miss Marvel is in the works. Apropos enough of nothing either, this uh, interviewer didn't ask him if Miss Marvel movie was in the works, or maybe they did. I'm not sure actually. Hmm. The, um, it's it's also interesting because much of her like origin story, you know, involves the Inhumans, which was a uh, a failed TV series on what ABC uh, in conjunction with IMAX. I don't think we'll see them involved with her origin story in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, for that reason. So it'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, how uh, Kevin Feige decides to bring her powers to the big screen. I will say, though, they did manage to introduce the Inhuman storyline in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They had a whole subplot in which the Inhuman uh, crystal was uh, disseminated throughout the world through like a fish pill, essentially, because uh, it got it contaminated the fishes around the world, and then uh, humans started bursting out throughout, like the start started uh, appearing throughout the world. So this may be tied into that. I'm not sure if they'll want to tie it to the TV series, but you're you might be right. They they don't even acknowledge the TV series on in (laughs) any of the movies. Uh, I, I, I. you know, hashtag it's not connected at all. Um, so I don't know. I, I just think that they're going to have to go a different way with it. I think, you know, they don't want to tie it to shield. I mean, it's going to be over by the time that, you know, a movie comes out. Uh, true. Yeah. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting, but uh, let's move on to uh, a possible Willow sequel. Ron Howard has been doing press for solo Star Wars story. As I mentioned earlier, I talked to him. I was going to bring up Willow. I'm glad I didn't because someone else got the scoop on this one. Uh, Ben, what do we know? Yes, in a new interview with ComicBook.com, Ron Howard says there's been a little talk about a Willow sequel. So his exact quote was, I don't want to give away too much, but there is a little talk of Willow. We wouldn't call it Willow 2. I think it would focus a lot on Alora Danan, although Willow would have to be significantly involved. So that's his quote. uh, And it's surprising because, I mean, this movie came out in 1988. So we're talking about 30 years ago. And it didn't really perform as well as... 
they wanted it to at the time but now i guess maybe because of like <laughs> the whole nostalgia thing there's maybe enough uh, enough momentum to actually get this thing going and off the ground again peter do you want to see a willow sequel at this point you know um as a fan growing up with star wars when you know they announced that ron howard was doing a movie uh you know created by george lucas uh said in this fantasy world i was so excited uh this is a movie I grew up with, uh, you know, loving, but I, it is a movie that I have watched many, many times. Uh, almost like, I mean, the thing is, I, I would almost be more interested in seeing a spinoff or origin story of uh, uh, Val Kilmer's character, Mad Murdergan, uh, who's kind of almost like the Han Solo of, of that movie. Um, but I, I'm not sure if we need another Willow movie or a sequel or a reboot um i don't know i'm not i'm not not even sure there's enough of that in that world to make it that unique uh but it seems like you know we are living in a day and age where uh going back and putting the taps in 80s nostalgia is playing real big so uh maybe now is the time for a willow uh property of some kind it would be really interesting to see Ron Howard go back to a world like that, though, because I feel like he's changed so much as a filmmaker since he made that movie. And it would be, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess this solo a Star Wars story is sort of like the – that's an outlier in Ron Howard's recent filmography. You know, he's been making, like, the Da Vinci Code movies and, like, stuff that are that's definitely yeah. aimed squarely as at, at an adult audience and sort of, like – straight down the middle kind of stuff but willow 2 would not be that it would definitely be you know a return to this fantasy weirdness and um i, I wonder what that would do for howard's directing like if that would sort of i don't invigorate think... him and inspire him to go in different directions i don't know i don't think he would be that involved i think he would be involved in as a producer uh as i mentioned in my interview with him he's you know directed like over 35 films at this point and uh, the only sequels he has done up until now was the Da Vinci Code uh, sequels, which he even noted, you know, are adaptations, not sequels to a movie. Um, and he doesn't consider Solo, a Star Wars story, a sequel. He considers it a standalone movie. Uh, I don't know. I kind of got the impression that he he is not a person that's interested in sequels. I, I almost wonder, you know, uh, th- this movie was released by MGM. Uh, but I think Lucasfilm was involved in it. I wonder if Disney has the rights to uh, the Willow franchise as they do, you know, um, indie and Star Wars. And <laughs> if so, you know, Disney has the streaming service and they're creating all sorts of original TV shows and movies. Maybe this project that he doesn't want to spoil has something to do with that. Not that I know of it, know anything. I'm just, uh, you know, spitballing here. But mm-hmm. uh, but maybe maybe that's uh, another way that uh, Disney is plotting to get us, uh, you know, to spend that like you know, ten or fifteen, twenty bucks a month for whatever they're going to call their uh, their television service, their television streaming service. Uh, but let's move on to uh, something I thought was a little interesting, and that is um, there. Well, the news story is not that interesting. The story is that um, fans have started a petition because that's what they like to do, uh, to try to get Disney to release um, Avengers Infinity War on home video with the IMAX sequences. If you uh, don't know, uh, Avengers Infinity War was the first movie shot completely with IMAX cameras, uh, IMAX digital cameras, which means the aspect ratio, uh, 
was bigger than the normal uh, 2.39 by 1. Um, and uh, for the most part, a lot of mo- the, these movies that have these IMAX shot scenes that expand on the IMAX screen, when they're released on Blu-ray or home video, they're released only in the uh, you know the widescreen aspect ratio, um, which is unfortunate because uh, I, I kind of love when I put The Dark Knight in my Blu-ray player, um, that in those 70 millimeter scenes, it expands to the, not the full, but it expands to 16 by nine. Uh, the full on those were, you know, it it was shot in IMAX. It's almost like a, uh, almost like four by three television set aspect ratio. Uh, I don't think anybody wants that. Uh, but, um, (laughs) but it, 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 uh, nowadays IMAX movies are shot on more of an aspect ratio closer to 16 by nine. Um, and you know, when you're watching these movies on home video, you're watching them with these little black bars. Uh, do you guys have a, I was wondering, I was using this as a stepping point. Do you guys have any, uh, love for, you know, these expanded, uh, scenes and, you know, uh, parts of movies. Do you, do you care at all that a lot of these movies are only getting the, uh, the, the wide aspect ratio release on home video? AC, what do you think? Uh, I have actually never thought of it that way. Um, it only bothers me if the parts of the shot is cut off or if it doesn't have the same, like, it doesn't, it doesn't give the same effect as it's meant to in the theatrical version. So I wonder if how well, like, this sort of conversion is well, done. Wh- which theatrical version are you talking about? Because... If you're talking about Ghostbusters, like the new Ghostbusters movie, uh, uh-huh. if you saw that in IMAX, there was 3D things that came out of the screen into the black bar areas. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you thought that in that way, but um, that version of the movie, the you know the IMAX version of the movie, is only available on the 3D version of the film. And not in, I mean, I guess I probably wouldn't want to see that. <laughs> that's a bad example. But uh, yeah, so... Like, I mean, the filmmakers are authoring these IMAX versions of the films. They're rendering special effects to be placed in those extra area area. Um, and, you know, they're filming it on location, like, you know, looking at what's going to be in that space. Uh, so, like, would uh, I guess the question, H.C., I'll ask you this. Uh, should we have the option of seeing an IMAX ratio? I like the I, I think I like the option for it. Um yeah, I I think so. Um uh yeah, I will say yes. <laughs> ben, do you have any feelings on this? Yeah, I mean the the Dark Knight is interesting because that's one of the few um movies that I return to on Blu-ray on uh I don't know. I mean not that often because I tend to not watch the movies that I've purchased <laughs> over and over again because I tend to just watch new stuff as much as possible, but um the Dark Knight that Blu-ray looks so good that whenever I do throw it on, I am always um sort of blown away uh, anew every time when it really opens up that that framing opens up for those IMAX sequences. So yeah, I mean, I like you mentioned, Peter, the idea of fans starting a, a petition is not actually going okay. to accomplish anything. But I would like, uh, you know, with the idea of of uh, home theater systems getting better and better every year, I would like it if the studios sort of um, 
nodded to that and at least acknowledged it and yeah maybe gave people the option of if you want it to to replicate the big IMAX theatrical experience as much as possible in your home then yeah there should be an option for that why not I mean I just think of like you know we have these 16 by 9 television sets in our homes and you know we're wasting part of that television set with a black bar that doesn't need to be there because the filmmaker has shot something that could be in that place i Mm -hmm. i totally understand someone you know maybe being like you know i want the final version of it to be the you know uh the widescreen aspect ratio but like at least give us the option uh if if you are a fan of the marvel movies and you want to see the you know expanded imax version of those films the only way to get that on home video is buying the 3d versions of the movies and um i i think we're kind of on the out outs of the th- you know 3d movie at home days uh at yeah. least right now um so like you know i want to i want to i want the option and i feel like um you know in a day and age where delivering a digital file of a movie is easier than ever like how hard is it for disney or any of these companies to put that file available on a server and allowing people to spend, you know, a premium extra $5 more than the movie to access, you know, the expanded IMAX version of the movie that will fill their TV sets. Right. They can make more money. Why not? <laughs> but, um, okay, anyways, that, that, that's enough of my rant. Uh, let's move on to our next story, and that is Brooklyn Nine-Nine ha- has been canceled. Or has it? HD, what do we know? Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine may indeed have 99 lives because (laughs) (laughs) uh, it was canceled by its current network, Fox. But a few days later, after an emotional roller coaster was had by all fans of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, NBC picked it up. Uh, And so it actually seems like a fitting sort of return to the network uh, where it was first pitched because Michael... Mike Schur, who is the co-creator of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, initially pitched it to NBC, which passed, and it went ultimately to Fox. But it actually is uh, produced by Universal TV, which is under NBC. So it's kind of uh, a nice uh, return to the uh, network. It felt like it always belonged to. And uh, I'm very excited about this. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is an amazing show that is a force for good in this world. And like a lot of Mike Schur shows like Parks and Recreation and The Good Place. It comes at comedy from a a place of heart, um, some place that it's a it feels like an ultimately um, earnest and optimistic show, which is actually kind of rare nowadays. So I'm so happy that it's coming back to NBC. I'm crossing my fingers for double block of uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine and The Good Place. Uh, so it's it's uh, a big celebration right now. I'm, and uh, thank you, NBC, for saving Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I have not watched the show, so I cannot comment on this. But uh, we are running a little bit long, long so let's go. Uh, let's move on to some news from Netflix. They have announced they they are teaming with Guillermo del Toro on a new horror anthology series. I need this, uh, you know, beamed into my head right now, Ben. What do we know? 
Yeah, this is Netflix's first original horror anthology show, and it is called Guillermo del Toro Presents 10 After Midnight. And del Toro, who recently won an Oscar for The Shape of Water, is going to be, um, what is the, the official press release says that he's going to be personally curating these stories. So he's going to be bringing his own visionary style as both a writer and director to certain episodes. So, I mean, I think that means he's going to be writing and directing some episodes of the show, and he's going to be handpicking a team of horror's best writers and, uh, and upcoming filmmakers, up and coming filmmakers and um, allowing them to sort of play in this playground that he creates. So it sounds like he's really using the, uh, the Hollywood juice that he earned from uh, The Shape of Water in a really cool way. I mean, he's been working with Netflix for a little while on uh, Troll Hunters, the animated series, but this is going to be a live action horror anthology show. And we don't really know the scope of it in terms of like what it's going to be about or one of the, what any of the individual episodes are going to be about. But the idea of Del Toro working in this form sounds very exciting to me. So uh, yeah, I mean, beam it right into my brain right now. <laughs> I am so excited about this. HT, are you excited? I am so excited. I absolutely love Guillermo del Toro and all of his films. And because of the um, the way that this is uh, presented, the Guillermo del Toro presents, it kind of gives me an Alfred Hitchcock presents kind of vibe. So I, I'm hoping that uh, in the vein of Hitchcock, maybe del Toro will appear at the beginning of each episode uh, or make a cameo at least in episodes and give that kind of uh, spooky sort of 50s style uh, anthology series vibe. So i I'm excited. I can't wait. That would be awesome. I, w I was also thinking like, you know, maybe he'll find a lot of these horror anthology series try to connect the stories together in some way. And they, they rarely are successful in that. And I'm wondering if there if he has figured out a way to, you know, string along this the series together in some way. Um, it's also worth pointing out that, you know, the, the the network TV shows are doing a lot of their announcements this week. We'll cover some of that tomorrow on the show. But, uh, you know, Netflix just announced their stuff all year long. And it's uh, it goes to show me. Uh, because we're, you know, writing about this for a living, how backwards it seems and how outdated the network uh, uh, way of doing things is. But, you know, like basically all the networks have announced like, uh, you know, dozens of series in, in the last like few days. And, you know, what's what's been renewed, what's been, you know, what's coming back. Here's some trailers like why why are we still operating on this outdated uh, notion that you know there are seasons of television that start like you know in fall and end you, you know like Ben do you have any idea like why I so I mean I think it's it's all about the the advertising right like that's the way the, that's why network TV is still the way it is but I would really be interested I'm sure there we have a bunch of listeners who know all, all about this I'm sure we have people who listen to the show who work in the industry so if you guys know why network upfronts are still a thing write right in and let us know because the idea of them um, sort of creating this bottleneck of information, like you're saying, Peter, where it's like they wait until just a few days to release this stuff. That part doesn't make as much sense to me as the idea of like, you know, at least their business models I can understand. And like, well, even you know, the scheduling part of things, like I feel like when summer hits, I all of a sudden have nothing to watch on network television. 
or cable yeah. television. Like it feels like everything comes to a dead halt. And I understand that people are on vacation, people are doing things during the summer, but you know, Netflix seems to be thriving and releasing content all year long. You know, there's it doesn't seem to be a week that they're not releasing something new. I mm-hmm. just, I don't know, it just seems weird that, like, you know, we have these seasons that, like, you know, things start in September or whatever, you know, and, and uh, whenever. Um, yeah, it's know. like a tradition. Yeah, they're just tied to the tradition of it. I, I wonder if there is still a, like, a viable business reason for those decisions still working in 2018. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you if you know anything about that, write us, uh, peter at slashfilm.com, and we'll mention you on uh, the air. Uh, but let's move on to our last story, and this is going to require a spoiler warning for Avengers Infinity War. So if you have not seen the newest Marvel film, uh, you will want to turn this off now because this is going to spoil uh, the end of that movie, um, the which involves Thanos snapping and uh, making half of the universe disappear. Which, by the way, I, I commented on Twitter today that uh, I, I just realized that if if Thanos actually did that and half of the people on Earth disappeared, it would only bring our population down to 1971 Earth. Like, that's that's how <laughs> much we've expanded in the last, uh, what is that, like 48 years or something. Um, th- th- that's insane to me. But anyways, okay, uh, we-, we have some new news on uh, the directors of Infinity War. The Russo brothers have revealed who has survived and who died off screen. <laughs> I'm not sure if this matters <laughs> or not, but HD, tell us about it. So Joe and Anthony Rousseau are continuing their post-Infinity War press tour and are clearing the air on who has survived and who hasn't survived and who is maybe too spoilery to confirm or deny whether they survived or not off screen. So uh, in a lightning round uh, of questions with Huffington Post, they confirmed a few joke ones, a few serious ones, and a few ones that will fan favorites that will make you breathe a little easier. So um, some that are alive include Howard the Duck, uh, who, as you may, may remember, made a cameo at the end of the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, credit scene. And Aunt May, who is uh, in Spider-Man Homecoming, and as we saw at the end of Homecoming, re- uh, discovered Peter Parker's true identity. So now that Peter Parker has uh, gone to dust at the end of Infinity War, she may have a few things to say to Tony Stark. Uh, I, would, I would actually be very excited to see whether she has a, a reaction to that. But a few who are confirmed to have been killed in the dusting, I'm not sure what we're calling it as of yet, um, are Betty Ross, who was uh, Bruce Banner's uh, presumably love of his life in the Hulk, uh, but has not been mentioned since and may as well have never existed at all. Uh, And uh, actor Loki, a.k.a. Matt Damon in Thor Ragnarok. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, and also Lady Sith. Um, who uh, was not present at Asgard when Hela uh, made her bloody conquest of the realm, but apparently was killed or is gone post-snap. So um, the rest of them are unconfirmed. So Nakia is unconfirmed. Uh, Ned from Spider-Man Homecoming is unconfirmed. Shuri is unconfirmed. She appeared in Infinity War, but we don't see what happens to her at the end. Korg is unconfirmed, so all of you who are big Korg fans. Um, Jane Foster is unconfirmed, and all of those are unconfirmed uh, per spoilers. So whenever the interviewer asks the Russo brothers what happened to them, 
they just answered with spoilers. So we don't know whether they're alive or dead or whether the movies have future plans for any of these characters. But why would it be spoilers if they were dead? I guess there's a spoiler of the reveal that they are gone in mm-hmm. Avengers 4. Um, but does any of this really matter? Like if, if you know, Avengers 4 is going to theoretically correct this whole situation, does it matter who who is alive and dead in, in the off screen? I mean, well, you know, the Russo brothers are saying that these guys, everyone who died in the dusting, are dead. So per their words, officially they're dead. But uh, yeah, I don't really know how much it matters. That's whether you will take the ending of Infinity War seriously like to heart or whether you just believe that it will all be undone at the end and in an, in the next year or so. So maybe it will make it easier for some for them to get rid of some of these characters that they never really used in the first place. Cause they're like, they're gone in the dusting and they just stayed gone in the dusting, which or, is kind of a sad way to go. Yeah. Or like you were talking about HJ, like the idea of seeing um, Aunt May reckon with Tony Stark in some way, even if Peter Parker does come back at some point, that trauma will still, will still be real for her. And maybe she'll have a tighter leash on Peter. So maybe it'll matter in the sense of, the way that their relationship unfolds over the course of future movies. But is, is she going to remember the dusting or would, if they go back in time and correct things, I would be will... so mad if that happened. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're going to have to find out, but this brings us to the end of today's slash film daily. You can find all these stories and more linked on the show notes and on slash film.com. This podcast is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and television, as well as deeper dives into the great features on SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.